I uh, got in some trouble with the army. I was stationed at Sakarka in the Syrian desert during the war, and these doctors, they kept coming in and giving us shots and pills. A lot of the guys were getting sick. There's vomiting, diarrhea, migraines, blackouts. And uh, I was having, I was having some weird thoughts. And I started feeling sick. So they shipped me home. They put me in this hospital at Groom Lake and they started running these, these tests on me. And they had every kind of doctor you can imagine just just probing and jabbing at me and asking me all these weird questions. Feeding me more pills. Those fucking doctors were experimenting on me. I went AWOL. I was a lifer, too. I didn't have anywhere to go. And they don't respond too well to some drugged up guinea pig just taking off. I don't know. And I'm not carrying a disease or a contagion. Oh, Jesus. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's how they start typhoid, Legionnaire's disease, the government screw up, AIDS with the fucking monkeys in Africa. They're after me. These people don't fuck around, Agnes. I shouldn't have told you that, but I needed to tell somebody. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 329, Bug. And this is listener request number 43, courtesy of Shelly. How happy did it make you to get this as a listener request? I was pretty pumped. The whole situation with Shelly finding the show... Through yeah. Killer Joe and making the Friedkin connection with That's Bug. Right. It's a Friedkin weekend. <laughs> and we're about to have us some fun. Yeah. For sure. But before Shelley requested it, you were the only person that I've ever known to like this movie. <laughs> and I don't mean in that in a way that everybody else doesn't like it. I just don't think that most people even know it exists. Well, I didn't see it until the last couple of years. Yeah. It was definitely recently, probably during COVID or something. Yeah, Freakin is one of those directors that I've really only gotten into over the last few years. I obviously knew The Exorcist and loved it, but right. a lot of his other stuff I've just really watched from doing this show or watching movies with you, and now I'm, I consider him an all-timer. Yeah, 
I think that the latter part of his career sort of prevented him from being more of a household name with younger people because until he had the late career revival with Bug and Killer Joe, yeah. he was definitely in a dark period that depending on how you feel about cruising and to live and die in LA may have lasted like 25 years. Yeah, right. It was a big gap from when he was at his peak in terms of relevance and then mm. this late career resurgence with a little bit more gritty, grimier material courtesy of Tracy Letts. Who Definitely. Wrote both of the plays. So, yes, Shelley, we're really excited to get into Bug, a movie that, as Matt points out, probably a little bit underseen. It was definitely very polarizing when it came back, although I think critics generally liked it. It was more audiences that had a rough time with it because it's one of those movies that, and Killer Joe is kind of like that too, where half the crowd might be pissed at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. Being like, what like, the what fuck the- was that? But we'll get into it as we go. We're out of One Trashy Summer, but this is a nice little segue back into the regular episodes. Not that Bug is trashy, although Tracy Letts elements. definitely yeah. lives in that world. Killer this Joe is, a- is far trashier than this. <laughs> definitely, but we're in a trashy world here. Yes, this the motel, story itself isn't bar. trashy, but the universe yeah, seems yeah. a little fringes of society. Right. Yeah. Goss. <laughs> Goss is definitely trashy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Calling your ex-husband Goss <laughs> is also fun by his last name. Before we jump into Bug, let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc., If you get a second, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it. If you would like to email us, greatestpod at gmail.com, greatestpod at gmail.com. We'd love to read your emails on the show. That's sort of taken over as the primary means of communication, so please reach out. We're always looking for more content to read. We'd love to hear from everyone. We like that more long-form communication style. You know, we don't need that Twitter stuff. If you'd like a free sticker, you can let us know on Twitter or via email, and you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. Although, I might be done with it. (laughs) I really haven't (laughs) logged anything, even the few movies that I have been watching, so it might be over, but I'll still mention it, I guess, on the show for the time being. Okay. Finally, post One Trashy Summer, it's going to give me a chance to go through the whole listener request rigmarole and make Matt lose his mind no i'm good i've learned the value of it if you have a listener request like shelly and you'd like us to cover a specific film on the show we do now charge money it's 50 dollars for a movie up to two hours and 10 minutes that is the runtime of the film it is 75 dollars up to three hours a three hour long movie anything longer than that please reach out to us and we'll figure out a price before we commit to anything which you would need to do anyway. I would like to communicate with you either via email, greatestpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter at greatestpod before we officially confirm anything. We do have Cash App available via a link on our Twitter page, but we would also be open to Venmo or PayPal if those work better for you. So please reach out. Although it's such a scene. I'm now on every app because of this show and then another incident i was involved with where someone needed to send money to me but they would only do it through zell 
Right. Yeah, and then they needed sales. then they needed me to pay somebody else who would only accept it through PayPal. I got Cash App because of you. Now I'm on all of them. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's annoying. But we'll figure it out. We'll yeah. make it work. We are at this point taking requests for November and December, so that has happened. We are literally at that stage. However, and I know it seems crazy to be saying this in July, we will keep these prices for the rest of this year. So as long as you get your listener request in, those are the prices. We'll update the prices by the end of the year. So don't worry about it. Even if we go beyond December with the listener request, we'll still get you in for that price range. Any further questions, at GreatestPod on Twitter or GreatestPod at gmail.com for email. So let's get into bug. I'm excited to talk about it because... It is challenging. It is mostly a one-location movie. They do briefly go out of it a couple of times, but that is very minimal. You're in a very small, claustrophobic space. Bug was released in 2006. It was directed by William Friedkin, written by Tracy Letts, based on his 1996 play of the same name. The budget of the film was $4 million. The box office was $8.2 million. If you have never seen Bug or would like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this podcast, you can find it for free on Roku Channel and Pluto TV, two apps that you can get on a Roku. I think Pluto you can probably get on other things as well. Currently, Bug has no U.S. Blu-ray release, which is annoying. Right. And there were plans for a 4K Blu-ray release for this year that were scrapped. Bummer. You know, Lorber. I know. When I saw that news about it being an upcoming pre-order, I was like, whoa, huge. Then pulled it back. Yeah. Everyone speculated that it had something to do with Friedkin being a prickly pear to deal with. (laughs) However... Kino is releasing another Friedkin film in 4K this summer, so I don't really know what the deal is with Bug. However, and this is one of those rare instances, U-Turn was the same way because that Blu-ray is wildly out of print. I would say go for the DVD. It seems to be readily available still. Mm -hmm. I think that haziness of a non-HD transfer can help with movies like this. Sometimes, yeah. It kind of reminds you of the old days of maybe checking out a VHS or something like that. You're not really sure what this movie is. It doesn't need to be crystal clear necessarily. No, No, even the streaming version of it seemed a little fuzzy to me. I have an HD transfer that I bought on Vudu, so I don't know if that's the same one that's Mm. out there other places or not. It looks okay. Yeah, yeah. It looks about like an average Blu-ray. It's not anything incredible, but yeah, I don't know. It's unfortunate. I don't know what Friedkin's deal is. It seems like... He's hard to deal with, and that can maybe be an obstacle in getting some of his movies on physical media. I support that. but I like people just being generally tough to deal with. But I don't know if that's what caused this. That's just what yeah. everyone started saying, sure. but I didn't hear anything specifically about why Bug was I don't know. canceled. It, it sort of seems like the type of movie that could get caught up in some sort of like who owns the rights to certain things. Maybe. I don't know. It's possible. Also, similarly... To U-turn, I feel like Bug has a little bit of that pitch black comedy DNA. Star Michael Shannon, director William Friedkin, and several of the critics who admired the film all felt more or less the same way. When it was released, Bug got significant coverage as a horror film, and watching it now, I can't help but be reminded of the 
paranoia thrillers from the 1970s, the film is also a love story. You could very easily see the delusions being experienced by the main characters as a metaphor for the relative insanity of love, of committing your life to another person, a stranger. Mm -hmm. But Bug feels genreless, which is what makes it great, because we know that being genreless really just means it's got a little bit of a lot of different things sprinkled in. It's a mutt. And these are the type of movies that get Fs on cinema score. <laughs> People being surveyed on their way out of the theater generally don't like movies that feel genreless that end on a really down note and feel pretty grim. <laughs> but an A from us. Yeah, this would have been probably one of my favorite movies of 2006 had I seen it back then. Yeah. It is a cool movie. Some of it tough for me to watch. That dive into manic obsession, <laughs> losing yeah. your sense of self over it basically. Yeah, I've been there. It's even on the uh, just the topic of buying physical media, <laughs> I get into a frenzy. You're scratching your skin off. <laughs> As we alluded to, Bug is part of a late Friedkin revival to wash away the the taste of all that studio fare that he had been working on leading up to it, and a few ambitious misses as well. Jade comes to mind. Ah, yes. Bug and Killer Joe, at this point, now that it's been about 12 years since Killer Joe came out, it feels like a swan song for Friedkin, who is now pretty old. And there's really not a lot of comps of directors that fall into mainstream studio fare that kind of is forgettable and not really anything interesting, Yeah, lose that auteur cred, and then end their career with two out-of-nowhere bangers one of which was rated nc-17 <laughs> like where did this come from i know it feels like the work of a much younger director like there's a lot of vitality to these two movies yeah and i don't know it really just worked out it's a it's a black-hearted collaboration with tracy letts where Friedkin ends up being the right guy to take these pretty straightforward simple Dark stories, I would say Killer Joe is much more of a, a neo-noir, but this one has kind of got that frantic thriller energy, even right. though it's not a traditional thriller in any sense. Like I said, it is kind of genreless. I don't know why. I guess Friedkin maybe wanted to prove it to himself. Maybe it was a personal thing after spinning tires in the mud for 10 or 15 years, doing okay stuff. Yeah. We went through his filmography i think back when we did killer joe or something i'm not gonna go through all that crap but you know it, there's a lot of like tommy lee jones movies in the 2000s sure. and stuff like that i think at a certain point i probably would have looked at this and been like man can you believe the guy that directed the exorcist like this is where he's at now directing a movie like bug which seems to me like at the time it would have been like straight to video or something i don't know it wasn't on my radar at all when it came out let's just say that well your radar in 2006 Probably pretty limited radar. Yeah. I was seeing a lot of movies in the theater then, though. Well, I think a movie could be under the radar and still make $8 million in 2006. True. Whereas that is not really going to happen now because major studio movies make $8 million half the yeah. time. The story is supposed to take place in Oklahoma, but the exterior shots of the motel were filmed in Olancha, California. And so the visible Sierra Nevada mountain range sort of gives it away that were not, in fact, in Oklahoma. Yeah, but it adds to the ambiance. It's a cool look. 
Interiors of the motel room were filmed on a soundstage in a high school gymnasium near New Orleans, Louisiana. Wow, I totally thought that was not a set. No, the inside is a set. Okay. Filming lasted 21 days with Friedkin shooting in chronological order, allowing for no more than four takes per scene, often looking to move on after just one take. The actors would regularly beg him for more takes. Well... That's impressive, though, because I got to tell you, by the end of this movie, Ashley Judd in particular was like really blowing me away. Oh, yeah. She's incredible in this film. But that is something older directors really yeah. lean into. Clint Eastwood, notorious. Mm-hmm. Four on a Clint Eastwood would be an insane amount of takes. Yeah. That's one or two, generally. And I know that some actors, including Sean Penn, who we just talked about a lot with U-Turn, could not really deal with it and was like calling his agent on Mystic River being like, get me out of this movie. I'm going to be terrible in it because a lot of actors aren't used to that. They like to warm up for like three or four takes and then they're in it. Mm -hmm. And then Eastwood or Friedkin, they're moving on to the next thing. (laughs) Some directors are basically the anti Kubrick. They think your most natural performance is going to give their most natural performance the first time and then get inside their heads and then Mm -hmm. lose all of, the natural charm or natural light in their performance. But I mean, Kubrick was going for natural too. He just wanted to beat you down and <laughs> to the point of, right. You can't be in your head anymore. As mentioned, bug was shot in Southern Louisiana and this would have been late July into August of 2005. In fact, they wrapped production and left the area just one week before hurricane Katrina hit. And as Matt alluded to, This is a cool thing to get as a listener request because I think that Bug is a really cool movie, but I don't know if I would have fully committed to us doing it on the show or not. Oh, I always had this pegged to something you would have us do at some point because I know you're a champion for it and it's underappreciated. Well, that's true, but there's only there's a lot of those types of movies. There's only so many we're going to get to, and I just don't know. We could have got to it. Sure. I'm not saying we wouldn't have, but having this come in as a listener request allows us to cover something I was a little bit on the fence about. I just assumed that you always had every Lynn Collins movie role (laughs) written down. Yes. Yeah, we're doing John Carter next week. (laughs) (laughs) A movie that I saw in the theater, by the way. Wow. I know. I was one of six. Something you're not ashamed to admit, but I wish you were. If I could only find my used ticket stub to John Carter. It's a collector's item. They only ever gave out six in the entire (laughs) world. (laughs) In an interview, Michael Shannon deadpanned, I've always thought that Bug was a love story. It's a love story between two intensely damaged individuals. But it's not called love story. It's called Bug. So it's probably about some other things too. Namely, Bugs. Okay. Fair (laughs) enough. He always seems like a really fun guy to interview. Yeah, he seems like a tough guy to be around. <laughs> I think I just always kind of picture him as his character from Boardwalk Empire. I don't know if you remember, but he was like yeah, really well, tough to deal with. Well, there. I was trying to think of when is the first time that I really knew who Michael Shannon was. Because he's a guy who, if you listen to us talk about Groundhog Day, oh yeah, he's been around for 30 plus years at this point. Right. But he didn't really become a name until well into the 2000s, and I was trying to figure out when did I even really know him as a guy, and I think it probably was Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. Combined with starting to notice him Starting to appear and stuff. 
he was in a lot of movies that I had seen prior to Boardwalk Empire, yeah. but he was never a main character, so I don't think I ever really mm-hmm. noticed him or anything. Bug debuted at the 2006 Cannes Film Festival before being purchased by Lionsgate, which released the film the following year in May 2007. So 2006 is when it was in Cannes. Mm-hmm. We weren't getting it in the States until 07. Not yeah. that it really impacted either of us. We were completely unaware. The film received mixed to positive reviews from critics who praised its intensity, directing, acting, and take on paranoia, but were polarized about its writing. They disagreed about the ending in particular. Friedkin and Letts collaborated again as director and writer on the 2011 film Killer Joe. So let's get into it. I'm not really sure how this is going to go. We may have done a movie like this, but nothing's ringing a bell. I can't think of anything that stayed in one location like this the whole time this much. Yeah, it's tough. I don't think so. Who knows? It's possible, but nothing's coming to mind. So it's a little bit challenging. It's a little bit different, but I still have a fair amount of notes to get through. I mean, it's so dialogue and performance-driven. Yeah. If you hear any noises in the background, people are setting off fireworks. We're recording this July 3rd. At night. Yeah. (laughs) The film opens with a haunting and mysterious image. The first time you're watching it, there's really no way to know exactly what you're looking at. It's a room. There's blue light. It's a small enclosed space. You're seeing those bug zapper lights hanging from the ceiling. The walls seem to be covered in tinfoil, although I wouldn't blame you if you didn't know what it was because out of context, you're confused as to what you're looking at. If the first thought was, that seems like that's where those guys record the podcast. (laughs) You're not far off. There's a dead man covered in blood, laying on the ground, and then it cuts to black, then into the credits. Just a little teaser, just to whet your appetite, make you wonder what's going on. (laughs) One of the weird things about this movie that I don't think I really thought too much about the first time I saw it, but it's something you start thinking about on those repeat viewings, is... The lengths they go to to not 100% say for sure what's happening. And the first time you watch it, you feel like it has to be one way. Mm-hmm. The second time you watch it, you start to think, well, it's weird that they would include that, though. And why was that guy smoking out of the right crack. Like, wait, what's Was that crack? I don't, I even... don't know. It looked like more serious than something you'd smoke. It was definitely some of. kind of an elaborate pipe, yeah. but it might have been just weed. I, I okay. don't know. All right. But uh, yeah, who knows? It seemed like it was for harder drugs to so me. So then you but... start allowing yourself to wonder a little bit more, but you're still 90% on one side. Yeah. But then the more times you watch it, you can start having little thoughts and things creep in about this line or that thing that happens. And I don't think that they really want you to think that <laughs> Peter is right and everything he's saying is real and true yeah i wasn't thinking that (laughs) but they definitely put a lot of weird shit in there yeah and then the end if you actually stick through the entirety of the credits they cut to different things i actually did and they make you wonder even more about what you're supposed to think is real or current but we'll go through it and we'll try to hit on some of these moments if you can. But yeah, I would say that there is a little bit of a question mark about the reality that we're witnessing in the film. Right. I don't think it's a definitive question mark. I don't think that's the whole point of the movie. I think it's ultimately 
fairly straightforward, but there is a little shadow of a question mark <laughs> where you're kind of like, hmm, there's some yeah, weird things. Definitely. It may not all be cut and dry. No, the, the extra surface. cut after the credits have been rolling for a while because I did stick around and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't really know. I love the overhead shots swooping in the helicopter, the blue black sky. It's so empty, isolated, desolate. It's a very convenient visual representation of our main character, Agnes, mm-hmm. who she is, where she's at in life. She's very lonely, very isolated, and she kind of becomes the ideal candidate for something like this to happen to. Yeah. She's the perfect person. We're seeing a motel in the middle of nowhere. Might as well be on the fucking moon. A phone is ringing. A woman answers. No one on the other end says anything. She hangs up, says bastard. She's living at a place called the Rustic Motel on the side of the highway, and it transitions into soft, dreamy visuals. The neon lights, that light sort of all blending together into that soft kind of circular glow all around. The aesthetics are kind of similar at times to Paris, Texas in these opening moments. Totally. Seeing that bluish, greenish neon in that what looks like southwestern motif. It's really California, but it's kind of got that that deserty look. Agnes White, played by Ashley Judd, is a waitress working at a gay bar while living in a rundown motel by the side of the highway in rural Oklahoma. Looks pretty dumpy. A gay bar in rural Oklahoma in 2006. Weirdly located, yeah. It must be quite the scene there. I'm not doubting that there was some in existence. Of course, there probably were, but must be quite a place, though. (laughs) Yeah. When we do see it briefly, it seems to be a lesbian bar. Mm -hmm. It seems to be mostly women, right? I think so. Agnes is a frayed wire existing on the fringes. She is tormented by her perpetually ringing phone. She chain smokes and is nervous. Agnes also lives under a heavy, dark shadow. She is unable to move on after the disappearance of her young son Lloyd nearly 10 years prior. And so she binges on drugs and alcohol with her lesbian friend RC, played by Lynn Collins. Yeah, we're big Lynn Collins fans. Definitely. On this show. As I was saying to you before we started recording, not sure why bigger things didn't happen for her. I guess maybe if John Carter would have been a hit. The world missed the mark on Lynn Collins. She was having a moment. She was in the first episodes of True Blood. Uh John Carter's coming out in theaters. It seems like it's going to happen. She's killed off of True Blood immediately. John Carter is one of the biggest bombs of all time. The world just completely changes trajectory for her. (laughs) I feel the same way about Ashley Judd. Unfortunately, we know... What the story is there. But she had a pretty big career, wouldn't you right. say? Right. I don't want to diminish her career. On, She's had a good Jeopardy. career. Yeah. But evidently she was blacklisted by Weinstein. It really that had sucks. a negative impact on her career. Yeah. Peter Jackson wanted to cast her for Lord of the Rings. And at one point, Miramax was involved with that. They mm. ended up not being, but yeah. they were at one point. And Weinstein basically badmouthed Ashley Judd, saying that she was a nightmare. And so he had that in his head and just didn't cast her then. So she completely misses out on Lord of the Rings. It's a whole thing. Yeah. But we love her. She's great in this movie. Totally. 
and she's great in a lot of things. I've always liked her, but holy shit, this really like took her to another level for me. Yeah. I don't think it gets talked about enough, her performance of this movie. All right, I'm here for it. Especially it's not just the lines and her performance at the end, which is really ratcheted up. It's a lot of dialogue. Yeah. It's a full body performance, but it's also the transformation from who she is in the beginning to that. Like with Shannon, I feel like it's a little bit less because it's like weird right out of the gate. Yeah. And she's got some issues. Well, yeah, and the thing that you don't even pick up on really the first time you watch it, Uh at least I didn't, was how short it all feels. I think the more times when you're pausing it to write down notes, you're like, wait a minute, how long has she even known this guy? They're talking about loving each other almost immediately. It's so crazy because they do mess with you a little bit. I do think time passes at some point because Goss says he's going to be gone for a week. Yeah. So I do think days have gone by. For sure. But- I think they don't want you to know because that's the life they're living. Yeah. Time stops mattering because they've just secluded themselves or whatever. Jodie Foster was considered for the role of Agnes. I don't really know what that means when they say that she was considered for it. She was a name that was thrown out there. Basically. It doesn't mean that she would have said yes. Right. I don't know. But for those of you who have, have ever been to Oklahoma or maybe live there, Oklahoma's trademark red soil is noticeably absent from the film. The dirt is brown because they didn't film it in Oklahoma. There you go. The opening definitely feels more akin to a short than to a feature. And the whole movie kind of feels like that because it's a play, first of all, and it's limited in terms of where it's going. But that's definitely not a knock or anything. It just has that feeling of being plunged into it immediately because the phone is ringing and then she's hanging up because no one's there. So you already kind of get that something's going on. Definitely. You have that vibe, which is how a short is because the entirety of the story might be only a few minutes. So you have to like jump right in and it has that feeling. But I do think that, and this will be paired with your praise of her because I would agree basically, but I will say that she does have a little bit of the movie star curse, which is, Her talent, as great as it may be, and she is excellent in this film, it can't conceal her natural beauty. So you have that to overcome. (laughs) Not that it hinders her performance, because believe me, we know that good-looking people can be crazy. So that's not like, (laughs) it's not like that's not believable. Okay, yeah. It's just to be this person that she is before any of this even happens. Right, right. But the movie does an excellent job of giving her backstory in a way where you do buy that this could happen no matter how good looking you are you just kind of go off the rails well it is a and then tr- yeah, terrible the, tragedy the great performance yeah. you kind of just buy it she's right. someone who could have been the best looking mom uh, you know dropping yeah. the kids off in the morning at school or she could be her who well, she is and, but even for beautiful people like hard living takes a toll yeah you know and through the performance we do believe that she's been living hard about 10 minutes into this movie and Friedkin and Letts have filled us in plenty about Agnes. Even if we don't know all of the specifics about Lloyd or Agnes's abuse of ex-Jerry yet, we still understand exactly who she is. A haunted woman, looking, feeling hollow, burnt out, lonely, scared, guilty, bored. Mm-hmm. Just existing and that's it. Not really taking anything out of life. Totally. 
Agnes is constantly plagued by these silent telephone calls, and she very clearly believes they are being made by the aforementioned ex, Jerry Goss, played by Harry Connick Jr., who evidently has recently been paroled. Agnes's theory hasn't exactly come out of nowhere. Jerry had previously attempted to kill her, and then he stalked her prior to his arrest. Yikes. In spite of Agnes filing a restraining order against him. Definitely not a great domestic situation. Harry Connick Jr. is one of those guys that I don't know that you would necessarily believe it before you see it, but he actually is a very effective shithead, creep, villain, whatever. Yeah. He plays the murderer villain guy in Copycat, which he's also pretty good in. Mm. He's good in this movie. Oh, yeah. completely buy it. He was probably one of the best-looking guys in his high school, but he was a douchebag and right. a piece of shit. He got the good-looking girl, knocks her up, but life just doesn't go as planned. Then, unfortunately, they have this tragedy befall them, and he just sort of gives in to the demons Yep, where he's abusive and a criminal and all kinds of shit. Definitely, and he reveals that he's harboring some feelings over the lost child, specifically oh, yeah. in her, towards her role. Right, yeah, they both have a lot of unresolved feelings about it. Anger, blame, guilt, all kinds of shit. I was going to save until we got there, but I just want to mention one of the things that struck me on first watch is one of the brilliant moments of the film is they introduce you to this guy, you totally hate him, you're from her perspective, huge douche, domestic abuse, criminal, just not a good guy. By the end of the movie, that part where he shows back up, Mm-hmm. You're kind of like rooting for him to get in because of what the situation has become. Right. Yeah. You do have a more immediate threat. Right. If you're unsure how or why Agnes eventually gets swept up in what she gets swept up in, it's because you're not paying attention. Yeah. She is a literal perfect storm of susceptibility to Definitely. what's about to befall her. Yeah. Which is effectively what they do for the first 15 minutes of the movie is present to you a person that would fall victim to this because I think a lot of times when people hear about this shit in real life their first thought is how could anyone believe this I know if she wasn't mentally ill to begin with how do you get swept up in this how does this happen to someone damaged right and that's this is what the movie I think does is they paint you a picture of that type of person she is excessively using drugs and alcohol she doesn't seem like she sleeps well her life is a complete wreck because of what happened with her son, which we'll maybe get more into this as we go, but I can't even fathom how you keep yeah. living at a certain point. The structure of your life makes it harder to operate within normal society. When you work at a bar, you're working late nights, probably yeah. sleeping a lot during the day. <laughs> Am I describing you? No, I was just talking about losing your son, and you're like, she works at a bar. <laughs> That's equal to that. I know, but and maybe this is just for me personally and not for everybody, but I, I kind of need like a structure in my life. <laughs> no, I know, but it's just funny yeah. to put those on the same level. <laughs> well, it does seem like an equal amount of trauma to me. <laughs> <laughs> having She's st- not getting a full eight hours. <laughs> having to stay up that late all the time. <laughs> so in addition to her son disappearing and never yeah. having any closure, because in, I don't want to say what's worse or not, because I, who the fuck am I to even say that, but... It's a completely different thing, though, to a child dying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because this is like you don't even know. You don't ever get to know what happened. So there's that weird part of you for at least the first however many years where you might have hope. 
that makes you weirder yeah. in a way because I think that that ex- I know then and you it's end even up kind of worse. going crazy later. And... I guess you would say that every version of that situation is horrible, but she even comments on it because of her social situation and where she lives. Probably the police just nothing. I think at a certain point it feels like they're not helping you, but there's just there's nothing, nothing to be done because there's no leads. There's nothing. Yeah, like you literally can't just have men holding hands in a field forever and going through the woods. It's just like there's you run right, out of right. play. It's yeah. like it's not going to happen. But would you surprise if she got less effort? No, not necessarily, but I just think you're supposed to take it as yeah, that's yeah. how anyone would feel. Sure. I th- Any mother I, and in I'm, that situation is going to And I do like believe that. that, yeah. One night, R.C. introduces Agnes to Peter Evans, a socially awkward yet courteous drifter. So we have Michael Shannon as Peter reprising his role from the stage version, which I believe he was doing even in England where this was a big show gotcha. for a while. And then it was also running in America too. Now, how would you rate RC's judge of character? Well, I think that straight men mm-hmm. are a commodity in their world. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Not a lot come into the bar. They live in a very rural area. They probably know everyone. Yep. Here comes a person we don't know. So they probably have done this before. Right. Not to cast any aspersions, but I'm sure that Agnes has brought the occasional gentleman caller home a time or two in her day. Sure. This is just something they probably do. Like, let's party and do drugs with people. There's not a lot of straight guys that hang out with us because Mm -hmm. we work at a gay bar. But yeah, not great. Right. Because he is weird enough where you'd think maybe he's he's probably revealing some of that early on. Yeah, maybe he's not someone we should invite over to this luxurious motel room. At this point, I think Shannon was on the verge of breaking out. For him, it was truly a, a slow process. The talent is obvious, but you just have to find the right opportunity because he was more of a character actor, background type player for like 15 years. It took a long time. And then all of a sudden, he's one of the guys that people think is like one of the great actors. You know, you're just going to hang in there. would it be and then you're not sure <sighs> no it's him <sighs> call started right after he got out you gotta be careful this guy's dangerous i know what i can't believe they let him out i thought he would have killed somebody and they would have thrown away the key well you're gonna give somebody else a chance oh, in there or what i've been so lucky if he comes by you can't let him in 
we don't come by. Yeah, I'm not just thinking. Yeah, it's been two years. Maybe you should get bars on your windows. Oh, great. You can just throw peanuts at me to catch in my mouth. Like, <laughs> you can get an attack dog. I can take care of myself. He's not going to be sad. Not next month. Maybe I do need a dog. Can What'd I you use say? the phone? Sure. I'm not an axe murderer. I didn't really think you were. Oh, okay. Is the voice there? There you go. Oh, no, no, no. A big no, dyke no. names the voice, all right? <laughs> hey. Very beautiful. What is going on over there? It's huh? I said you're very beautiful. It sounds like the end of the world. <laughs> RC ends up heading out leaving Peter behind at Agnes's room. The pair quickly strike up a bond over their mutual loneliness, and Agnes allows for Peter to spend the night. It should be noted that Peter makes it clear almost immediately that his interest in Agnes seems to be non-sexual. Not really great at women. Yeah. He describes it some way like that. At one point he says he's just done with that, oh, which yeah, I yeah. was like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> but... At the same time, though, he is approaching it as if he's courting her because he's yeah. like, I would like to see you again. One of the first things he says to her is that you're so beautiful. So saying that and then being like, I don't want to have sex with you. We're just going to be friends. I don't know. Maybe he's a genius. Maybe he's figured out the right order. <laughs> totally. To say the things. And she's hooked. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Because I got to tell you, I'm watching this thing and like, this doesn't seem like it's going that well. And then the next thing you know, she's like, well, you can stay over. I think you're supposed to read into that that I know. she's just very lonely. Yeah. And that she just likes having someone there. Because she's scared, and she says that later, and I think you are supposed to fixate on her just admitting that pretty quickly and Agreed. easily. Well, she's got this deranged ex-husband running around But I there. think she's been scared ever since. Yeah, yeah. Lloyd was taken. It's just, you don't feel safe anymore in this world. The world is just You look at it in a different way, now. yeah. Should also be noted that Peter admits to being homeless, too, so it's not like he's got somewhere to go to. I know. <laughs> Thanks, R.C. All the things you want to mention on a first date. <laughs> the movie takes an interesting first turn when the smoke alarm starts making that cricket chirping sound because I think you could read into it that that is what triggers him and sets him off, that maybe he could have made it through the night kind of keeping where he was on an even keel and nothing was setting him off yet and that maybe they would have parted ways in the morning and never seen each other again but this thing goes off and it gets his mind yeah you can kind of almost see like at first he's kind of normal about it he's like okay okay this thing's going off she gives him the magic eight ball he's like knocking it off the wall the battery needs changed whatever and then all of a sudden he's taking it somewhere and disposing of yeah. it in a weird way. And you're like, wait a minute, what's going on? You can kind of almost see it like it's a slow thing with the wheels starting to turn in his mind. And then by the end, it's going like a million miles an right. hour. But at first it's like you're cranking it up. It seemed to be like that sound and that whole concept of the smoke alarm. And now all of a sudden he's off in it. Yeah. Before you get to the downward spiral of the characters in this movie, everything with him is sort of like catastrophic, you know? Even when he's talking about the smoke alarm, some radioactive. Well, that's what element, I mean when the like, wheels are starting yeah. to turn, because then he starts talking about all these chemicals but it's and like, what's going on. Basically, and... insinuating to her, like, you've been sitting in here breathing this in all the time. Yeah. Everything is just like a catastrophe. Well, he is a little bit of a Debbie Downer 
before the smoke alarm. Yeah. But the smoke alarm thing, when he starts talking about the chemicals, that's what I mean. Like right. all of a sudden it's changing to something mm-hmm. else. Now that this chirping has happened and he's taking this thing off the wall and he's almost like he's looking at the smoke alarm and he's remembering his old crazy thoughts. Yeah. The medication when he was in the hospital had tamped that down. And then all of a sudden he's like, hey, you remember when I used to think all these weird things? Yeah. <laughs> and then he's staring, his eyes right. are getting big, like, wait a minute. But before all that, though, he's talking to her about how I comment on things that basically people don't want to hear about. Yeah. That well, I think part of what happens is you construct a narrative yeah. around yourself to explain what's happened so far in your life. So. Right. Why don't people like me? Why was I in a mental institution? Yeah. You start constructing this whole reason why you were. That's You're right. not crazy. It's because of... How people react to the things that I say, which totally makes sense. Well, I think that as the movie goes on, you discover that the world, the sights, the sounds, mm-hmm. the events, are seamlessly integrated into the delusions. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. It's like the smoke alarm is almost like the gun at the beginning of a race. And now we're off. And then as he goes, the phone's ringing. There's yep. no one talking. That, that That's this. That's this, too. You're missing son. That's this, too. Jerry arriving with the doctor. That's this. Like, everything is just this big conspiracy. Right. RC's on, in on it. The doctor's in on it. Everybody is suddenly in on it. Yep. And then you just incorporate anything that happens can just get seamlessly incorporated into it. And it's cool that the movie thought that through in advance. And so by the end of this, spoiler alert, we don't know who was calling her on the phone. It doesn't seem like it was Jerry, although it very well could have been. Uh huh. It just doesn't seem like he would deny it that easily. He would probably just be like, fuck you or whatever. But he does seem to be telling the truth where he's like, I never called you. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And so if it's not him, then we don't know. I know. Yeah, this movie sets up all this stuff, and then it leaves you with these questions. And like I said, the more times you watch it, you start to even almost doubt yourself and think, like, well, wait a minute. And I think I the movie wants you to start thinking, am I going crazy? Like, am I just like Peter? Wait a second. Is something weird actually at play here? Could be. Yeah. Is Peter telling the truth? <laughs> you don't understand. This movie is a message. The message is a... <laughs> the government is controlling us, Matt. This <laughs> is movie... Run into your bathroom and take a pair of pliers and rip my tooth out. <laughs> the next morning, Agnes's ex, Jerry, arrives in this little forgotten corner of the world and forces his way into Agnes's motel room while Peter is out getting food. The shower, right? Yeah, this is a cool the way they moment do this. because yeah. she wakes up and someone's in the shower. She just assumes it's Peter. And to this right. point, we actually haven't seen Jerry yet. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what the fuck's going on with him. There's no reason for us to not think it's Peter. Totally. And then all of a sudden, this guy comes out, and it's Harry Connick Jr. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, oh, okay. That all adds to like her whole backstory and the being afraid thing, because your guard is down, you think it's this other dude, and then it's like this guy you're completely afraid of, completely making himself at home. After menacing her, Jerry attempts to reconcile. Oh, yeah, it is a whirlwind of emotions. I don't even know if I would say it's an attempt at reconciliation. It's more... A demand at reconciliation. No. Mm. He doesn't even think there's a reconciliation. Oh, yeah. We are still together. Right. I'm home. <laughs> like me in seventh grade. We never broke up, though. Yeah. We didn't officially break up. Yeah. <laughs> we have to sign our breakup papers. <laughs> I know I was arrested for attempting to kill you, but we didn't really break up. Seventh grade. However, when Agnes insults him... And then Lloyd's name comes up. Jerry punches her, knocking her to the ground. 
Don't you threaten me? I'd get another fucking court order if I thought I'd do anything. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. You knocked my door down. You wouldn't open it. I don't have to. I ain't interested in this history, Aggie. I got bigger fish to fry. You tried to kill me. That was a rough one, yeah. I was bad to drink back then. Oh, back before you found God? Who was that boy up in here last night? You been watching my place. I saw him leave. Calling me eight times a day. I fucking called you once. Right. Who was he? Nobody. Nobody. Just nobody leaving at 10 o'clock in the morning. Must have spent the night. Must have spent the night. Did I do something wrong? I don't, I don't know, did you? You're ridiculous. Uh -huh. Did you do something wrong? Goss, don't do this. <laughs> I ain't doing nothing. I just don't want to go back over all I ain't I going back over nothing. I'm starting to get the feeling that maybe you ain't too happy to see me, girl. <laughs> I missed you. Didn't you miss me? Can't say I did, no. That hurts. <laughs> I waited two years for this. Oh, give me that. No, it's, the, it's God's honest truth. I've been waiting two years for this shit, for you. <laughs> you ain't getting shy on me, are you? Well, we're gonna have to get over that. You know what, guys? I can't tell if you're fucking serious with this shit. I hate you! Oh, God, I wish to Christ I had just taken Lloyd and gone out to San Diego like a... I was really looking forward to seeing you. But you know not to mention his fucking name around me. I ain't the one who lost him. Now, whose fucking fault is it you got slapped, huh? Mine. You fucking right, it's your fault. Now, you got some time to get your ducks in line before I come back here. Maybe by the next time I come home, you'd be a little bit nicer to me, you hear me? Huh? We can have a civilized conversation. You hear me talking here? Yeah. Jerry does leave, though, declaring that he will return, pushing a returning Peter out of the way. Peter then comforts Agnes. It's clear that what Jerry does is gaslight Agnes about not only the present, but the mm -hmm. past and the future as well. And it's a little window into what her reality is really like. It's almost reminiscent of the type of relationship that we talked about in Sling Blade with Dwight Yoakam, you know? Yeah, yeah. That dominating, abusive personality that finds the right person to steamroll. And the other person knows they're terrible, doesn't want to be in it, but can't seemingly get out of it. Yeah, it's a tough thing. He feels like he's marking territory like a dog, especially in the presence of Peter, who that all throws an interesting wrench into the scenario that I'm sure Jerry wasn't counting on. little surprised to see Jerry not take a little bit more action here. I think he's trying to size him up yeah. this time, and then he does kind of get a little bit more physical with him the second time. Totally. Peter starts mentioning things related to mind control, being targeted... He starts launching into these various conspiracies about technology, chemicals, information. And the fact that Agnes humors this at all 
with a guy that she met probably 12 hours earlier is the first sign that this Hmm. is going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah. Because your reaction should be... Get out. You're secretly texting RC like you're not even taking your phone out of your pocket. Like, call the police. Or get over here and get this guy out of here right right now. Who the fuck is this? But instead, she's attentively absorbing this information. She's taking it all in as if it's legitimate in any way. Immediately, he starts going off on this shit. And you're like, wait a minute. What? What? (laughs) And when you're someone who is sane and is not prone to believing in these wild conspiracy theories, there are all these little things that stick out to you where you're just like well one of the telltale signs is that everything connects in Mm -hmm. a way that is not possible it would take hundreds if not thousands of people working together secretly and nobody breaking that secret that's one the other thing is and this will happen several times in this movie it feels like it's ramping up to the point where it would be over but then it's just the next day yeah. So you obviously weren't hearing helicopters about to land on your little shitty motel room because the sun came up and now you're still doing this. There's always a reason that it keeps going unless it, it ends with death, suicide, or murder. You're arrested or something. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? There is no end. You can just keep making an excuse why it keeps going, even if part of your conspiracy is they're coming to get me, but they're never coming. They're never actually here. But it just right. keeps going and yeah, going yeah. and going. Because once she gets sucked into this world... It doesn't take long for her to feel the room shake with the helicopter sound. and But then nothing happens. It never yeah. ends. It just goes to the next day. You're like, well, what was that then? Obviously not what you were thinking because it didn't happen. The scene where she finally gives in and starts telling Peter about Lloyd. Yeah. And she says, do you have any more questions about this? Because if you do, just ask them because we're not talking about it again. Number one, I did write Academy Award-worthy performance from Judd, totally. in my opinion. But the script is really good here, too. I love the lines when Peter says, when did you stop looking for him? That's such like a, a great, succinct line. There's such a darkness to it. Yeah. He's asking, when did you give up hope? Yeah. And she says, a couple years ago. So that means that she was probably looking for her lost son for... Over five years, maybe six, seven, eight years of wondering if he could still be alive and then finally having to give up, but not really having an answer. Because as crazy as it sounds, there have been times where people have been found when they were totally kidnapped as a kid. And then 30 years later, they are still alive. It has happened. I know. The guy that had the three girls in Cleveland like 10 years ago or whatever that was. She's just carrying around all this immeasurable pain for the rest of her life. It's a level of trauma and PTSD that is so hard to imagine. There's no closure, really. You hear about this sometimes. Like There was like a family on my parents' street where one of the kids committed suicide. You'll then see those people outside I know, later. And you're just crazy. like, how do you even just keep going at that point if one of your kids commits suicide? It's hard to think about. And that is like as dark as it gets for obvious reasons, but this is like a whole different thing where there's totally. no closure, there's no I end know. to it. How does one... At a certain point, you might be praying that you're going to find out that your child died and maybe hopefully died quickly just yeah, so that it will yeah. be over. Which is such a horrible thing. You don't want it to be something unspeakably like evil and horrible. Right. And I'm not going to even get any further, but you know what I mean. I think we're just trying to convey, we're almost like defending her because because she just goes so far off the rails. We're like, 
please don't hold it against her to yeah. put the stuff that she does later. Really just one of the great tragedies of life that she went through and then you just never recover. You're just never the same person after that. It's apparent that there's a connection between these two broken people in the aftermath of Jerry and then the telling Peter about Lloyd, Agnes and Peter have sex. The sex scene is bizarre. I'd say I would so. say Friedkin went a, lot of a little artsy for this yeah. movie. It feels more in place with Jade. It's not the type of sex scene you would expect. You from wouldn't this movie. expect these two to have like a sexy encounter. There are little horror style flourishes at the end with the yeah. bugs and the sounds and everything. True. But the beginning is almost softcore uh, porn adjacent. I was thinking like Top Gun, Take My Breath Away. Yeah, it has that eighties but it's a little sexier. With nudity. Yeah. It just doesn't really feel it. It feels out of place in this movie. I, I feel like them having sex is good and it should be in the movie. Yeah. I think it makes sense. It should be shot a different way. This just does doesn't match the rest of the movie. It's really weird. Yeah. I'm not really sure why they I'm with went you. with that. Maybe they wanted to have one last moment of normality and they, I know. that really try, well, to, I guess try it's to like keep that sexy and pure and fun and then this is like a potential fork moment right is it that these two are gonna find something in each other that maybe helps them find some semblance <laughs> of a life and it, that's like one road and then there's this other road and we go down the other one <laughs> way down the other one later in the darkness Peter wakes Agnes having apparently felt and then finding an aphid in the bed. First thought, what is an aphid? It's a bug. Yeah. There's a bug, and he shows it to Agnes, who cannot initially see it. It should, I think, be noted that as far as what we as the audience see, we do see some things in this movie that would lend us to believe that maybe there's more to the story and maybe they're not all completely insane, but we never actually see a bug, ever. Right. In the movie, and it becomes more and more absurd as it goes. I think it's pretty safe to say that there are no bugs. But it's a way to start small and start simple and believable. Because as we go, of course, this is an escalation, and we will Mm -hmm. escalate to a completely insane level. But if you start small enough where somebody wakes up from a dead sleep and you're insisting you were bitten by a bug and you seem to have some sort of a red mark on your arm and then you're pointing at something and it's a dingy motel room and that person just woke up. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, okay, there's a bug. Yeah. Even if they don't see it. And it's enough to plant that seed. I yes, guess. there is a bug. So then she believes there's one even though she doesn't see it at first. Right. But she's willing to believe it, which is more important than seeing it. Well... How hard is it to believe that there would be an insect in this motel room? I know. I like when they complain to the manager, yeah. and the manager's response is basically, well, there's no bugs in the other rooms. Imagine if you were in a hotel, and you saw a bug in your room, and you told the manager, and that was the response. <laughs> well, there's no bugs in the other rooms. And I think this manager's probably like, well, where else is she going to go? Yeah. I'm sure the yeah. manager doesn't give a shit about right. anything. Yeah. A paranoid Peter claims to find and then kill several of these aphids and then eventually reveals he is being pursued. However, he refuses to tell Agnes who is hunting him on the grounds that it will put her in danger. Peter then hurriedly gets dressed and rushes out of her place. Agnes, feeling abandoned after opening up emotionally, bursts into tears before a remorseful Peter returns. 
This is unfortunate. She does have an out, basically. Yeah. He seems to want to leave. She is more reacting as if this is going to be normal. She's very much opened herself up emotionally to this guy, telling right. her about her missing son and all this other shit. And it happens subtly, but there's a point where all of a sudden she is just latched onto this dude. Yeah, well, I think it's already happened. Yeah. Based on how she's reacting. Although, she hasn't gone with him into his delusions yet, but... We'll get there. She's done her part, uh-huh. which is open up about Lloyd, open up about how lonely she is, and she is connecting with another human being for the yeah. first time in a long time. And so when he leaves, even though he's leaving for a completely crazy reason and everything that's going on with him is crazy and everything he's saying is crazy, she's viewing it as if it's a completely normal situation, which is this man that I've opened up to and just given my body to and also revealed all of these dark secret things is just leaving because he doesn't like me because this isn't working whatever he's just leaving and now she's upset but he comes back pretty quickly he reveals himself to be a veteran of the gulf war he claims that he was subjected to biological testing by the u.s government that the anonymous phone calls were made by government agents in anticipation of his arrival and that the room has become infested by bugs planted by the government as part of the experiments. Now, the phone calls come in before they meet. Yes. Eventually, their delusion works its way into why they're meeting. Right. I, yep. That I this understand. was all destined to happen. So, yes, the phone calls were happening before they even knew each other because the government was putting them together because they needed to mate. Yes. Because one is carrying the drone and one is carrying the queen. Absolutely. That's the movie, folks. I think that my feelings on this movie probably changed after reading that Chaos book about Manson and MK Ultra that yeah. we talked about a lot. I was talking to somebody about that book recently. And I do think that this movie is sort of in that world of doing experiments on US soldiers, US citizens, MK Ultra. Yeah. That's what they're flirting with even though in the context of the film Bug, I don't think that we're supposed to believe that that's actually happened to Peter. I agree. But they do start messing with you a little bit by the end, and I do think that you could start to question it. Maybe there's something to this. I don't think that that you're supposed to think that it actually did, but they'd start to mess with you a little bit a few times. I know. I was saying, though, that book and thinking about the MKUltra stuff was a big part of changing how I thought about this movie. Because well, I think that before, I would just assume he's crazy, it's all bullshit, and now you do hear about some of these things. And My initial takeaway is, yeah, both of them unhinged by the end, like this has gone so far, but I just really interpreted the material as how we, as people in general, justify things in our head, and how that gets way worse with mental illness and trauma and all these things that happen. You start being self-reflective, and you're like, huh. Do I start connecting dots sometimes to explain things away with my life that... Yeah, you know, I think I think everybody does. I, I think so, too. It's not to this level. Right. Well, this is when it starts getting out of control. I know. But, but you're always sort of a But there's unreliable always a certain amount narrator. of logic, though, yeah. to the way that you're connecting those things, even if they're untrue. Even yeah, if they're right. untrue, yes. the logic you're generally using would still make sense, mm-hmm. whereas the logic that they start to use and starts involving science fiction or things that aren't real clearly and technology that doesn't exist and aliens or whatever. It's important to remember, though, how early on this is in them knowing each other at all. 
yeah. when this starts happening. Because even though they do jump time eventually, at this point, we're still like 24 hours, maybe 30 hours. I think we're only on the second day, something like that. When he comes back into the motel room after storming out and she's on one side of the bathroom door crying inside the bathroom and he starts talking, there is that long pregnant pause where you actually believe she might understand that this man is crazy. There is that pause there for Uh a second where you're thinking, what is she going to say? And then she immediately, you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Because then, as soon as that happens, brilliant. That's right when the visual representation of Agnes buying into the delusion happens. The helicopter, the lights, the room starts shaking. It all happens as soon as she comes out of the bathroom. Yep. Because that's almost like a cue as, well, we're starting. And I even wrote, but it never leads anywhere, does it? No. no. The helicopter never lands yeah. because it's not real. And yet, for some reason, they still believe it the next day. It doesn't take long at all for us to be full-blown in it. Peter's movements and behavior become more erratic as he fights the seemingly invisible bugs that he claims are now infesting his body. There's flypaper hanging all over the ceiling now. He's pulled out some of Lloyd's old toys so that he can find a children's microscope, and he's now obsessed with looking at his own blood in the microscope. Him in this fucking oh, microscope the rest of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so annoying. I'm sure that's like a really official, really effective microscope. During the shoot, many of the crew members got rashes from bed bugs in their hotel rooms. Wow. That is weird. Little poetic. You think justice. that was Friedkin dumping like bugs into. <laughs> I don't think it was the cast. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think it would really help. Well, it just a- adds to the whole ambiance of the filmmaking. So the last time we saw Jerry, he said it was going to be a week, and then he returns. So that's our indication maybe some time has passed, and now all of a sudden here he is, and it's kind of a shit show. What you working on, Peter? Oh, I'm still looking at something. Don't touch that, please. I'm, I'm looking at What are you looking at? A bug. Excuse me. A bug? Just a, just a bug. Mm. In my blood. Oh, in your blood. Mm. Hey, uh, you know, you remind me of somebody. You know who you remind me of? Do you know who you remind me of? Who do I remind you of? This guy I knew in the pen. In the pen? Yeah. Mm. I just did a deuce for armed robbery. Wow. Guy named Porterfield. Mm. You're not related to him, are you? I don't believe so. I don't believe though. <laughs> no. You know what we called him? I said, do what you, did you know call what him? we called him? We called him Mrs. Porterfield. You kinda kinda remind me of him a little bit. Oh. Huh. Well, what the fuck are we looking at? A bug in my blood. In your blood? Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't see nothing. It's very small. Yeah, I bet it is. You're pretty much just jacking off here, aren't you? Why don't you answer me when I ask you a question or not? Well, I thought that was a rhetorical question. Oh. Do you know what I'd do to you if I were about you were fucking with Agnes? Look, I don't know who you are or what. You don't know who I am. 
Didn't we just meet in here a little while ago? Yes. And you forgot me that quick? No. Yo, I remember who the fuck you are. Right, my point is I don't want any trouble with you. Yo, my point is you ain't gonna get no trouble from me. I'm staying here for a while. So you better find someplace else to be a fucking experiment. I don't think you want to stay here. Oh, yeah, why is that? The place is crawling with these things. Oh, right, with your uh, little bugs. We're infested. I believe you are, Peter. But in the end, Agnes, R.C., and Peter manage to convince Jerry he isn't welcome, so he does back out of the situation for the time being. At this point, we now understand that some time has passed and Agnes begins sharing in much of Peter's behavior. R.C. thinks it a bit strange. She's taken Agnes to visit a dermatologist, and she's also convinced there are no bugs in the motel room at all. So let's compare R.C. and Agnes's reactions to Peter. Yeah. Because when R.C. first met Peter, he wasn't saying a lot of the things that he's saying now. So mm-hmm. he is different. He was always weird, but he was weird in a normal way before. Totally. Shy, awkward, doesn't know what to say. Now he's actually saying crazy things about the government, bugs, conspiracies, everybody's in on it. The doctor you went to go see, he's the one who's infesting, you know, whatever. I know. Just stupid things. So now this has got to be particularly jarring to RC, who's like, wait, who's this guy now? Take a step back. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously there's going to be some level of guilt for bringing him into the picture, but you're seeing how quickly your friend is taking to this guy and he is completely insane. Yeah, she's like, we got to hit the eject button on this. But she doesn't really even realize how entrenched Agnes already is. Like, there's no returning now. It's about to become clear to her pretty soon. He's ranting and raving about bugs in his blood. He's calling it a blood-sucking aphid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's like, aphids don't bite. Aphids don't eat blood. What are you talking about? (laughs) The conspiracy is so large that any potential authority beyond him has to be in on it. Right. Because they're going to quickly dispel any notions of any conspiracy and be like, what are you talking about? You don't have any bugs. These aren't bug bites. That's what you want me to think. Agnes has also reported to the motel owner that their room has bugs, but says he told her none of the other rooms have a bug problem. And kind of left it at that. (laughs) Peter is furious over these developments because he knows on some level, even though he is crazy, you cannot go outside of the circle or above him. Uh I'm not saying he doesn't believe it. He believes it. I'm not insinuating that this is an act or anything. But on some level, when this is part of it, they don't want you to do that. Now, he may legitimately believe that everyone is in on it. So if she goes to someone else, They'll know that they're on to them or whatever. I'm not saying he doesn't actually believe that, but that's part of like the rules that you conveniently sort of craft because anybody else that she goes to is not going to fit with what he's saying. Right. Because on some level, whether he it's the right way or not, he knows that they're not going to agree with that because Absolutely. it's ridiculous. No kidding. In his anger, he confronts her and he says, do we have bugs or not? Do we have bugs or not? And he forces her to say that they do. And then when R.C. continues to push back on it, he pulls up his shirt and reveals his body is covered in these red marks. They they sort of seem like a combination of 
claw marks, but also burns they do and rashes. Kind of, or like welts almost, like you like got shot with a paintball gun or something. I will say that I have seen pictures of people who get like scabies and shit, and it does mm. kind of look like that. Okay. So the idea that this is bug-related is not completely out of the okay. question. I was wondering if you're supposed to take it that he's doing that to himself. Yeah, he is. Just like scratching. Well, that's, yeah. well, where else would that have come from? Well, I don't know. The scabies. The bugs. Yeah. The, bu- the blood-sucking aphids. aphids. Yeah. Well, Matt, you need to make up your mind whether or not you think they have bugs. Because <laughs> you seem it's like you so were 100% <laughs> no. I'm starting to be turned around. No, they don't. And he did do that to himself because where else would they have come from? Right. Now, if we hadn't seen him completely naked earlier in the picture. Yeah. Because, yes, we do get a fair amount of nudity from Michael Shannon. Thankfully. We would maybe think, well, maybe he had those marks on his body the whole time, like the dad and Raw. <laughs> yeah. But no. We know he didn't That's have those marks on his body earlier. Reference point. Because we saw his entire body, and he yeah. didn't have them. So he's been scratching at himself, evidently, to the point where it looks real bad. Totally. R.C. gets a real look at what the fuck is going on and tries to convince Agnes to leave Peter, even going so far as to mention that a man named Dr. Sweet is looking for him, Peter. But Which then is a weird detail. <laughs> that his name is Dr. Sweet? Yeah. I know. That also is sort of the surreal element to this. Right. Peter. That name feels intentionally bizarre and, and made up yeah well we'll get into dr sweet there's yeah. some theories that he's not really a doctor That's i'm sure on the table yeah but then peter starts having some kind of a seizure and then in the aftermath agnes slaps rc and tells her to get the fuck out somebody's been asking about you who dr sweet who's dr sweet what are you talking about think about what you know what i'm talking doing. about yeah i do room late your friend is gonna turn me in. Tell me what? Somebody's been asking about Peter at the bar. What'd he tell you? Not much, but apparently I didn't know you were staying here, so maybe I should have asked some more questions, but he's obviously not somebody you're gonna meet, or he would have known where to find you, Peter. Quit playing games, tell him. If I am not playing, Agnes. You know what? She would never do that. She would never Try do that, me. Peter. She wouldn't. No, you don't mean it, Try honey. me. I'm you don't mean it. Stunned that you think I would try to stop Agnes from going with you. I'm only staying here because I was invited. I don't stay where I'm not wanted. I wouldn't attempt to keep somebody where they don't want to be. Agnes is an adult, and she is free to do as she pleases. I thought you'd see it, though. As for Dr. Sweet, tell him what you wish. I have no doubt he already knows where I am. Right. But as for your contention, there are no bugs. I disagree. You're going to stay with me for a while. I want you to pack a bag. Agnes, look at me. I want you to pack a bag. Peter, are they bad? Get off! the one thing in the world I have. Why can't you just leave me with one thing? 
This is the only thing in the world I have. Why are you trying to take it from me? Get out of here. Get out of here. I never come back. Yeah, lines well, were I think, drawn. Lines I, were drawn, and Agnes made a choice. I think there's another brief moment where you're not sure how Agnes is going to react. Like before the slap, there's like a little bit of a, what's she going to do? There is a pause. Well, first they're trying to stop yeah. Peter from convulsing, and then they're both holding his arms, and he stops, and they're like on the bed, and they do look at each other, and then she just reaches up and slaps. Uh-huh. Her. It definitely sounds and looks real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's a very huge declaration it's not just saying that's right that she buys into the stuff just no, because she wants a man around there's a line in the sand now and she is not on the rc side of the line and so rc leaves and we don't see her again yeah She's out of the movie and out with her went whatever sanity was left in this motel room agnes says i don't know why i love you so much I don't hardly know you, truth be told, and we ain't even done that much in bed except that one night, and I don't care. Seems all we ever talk about's bugs. I guess I'd rather talk with you about bugs than nothing with nobody. Not that I got much to say unless I talk about misery. Who wants to hear that? I don't. So there it is. That's what the whole movie is. Brutal assessment of herself. Yeah. There are those little moments of self-reflection, I guess you would call that. That lead you to think that, not that she doesn't believe it, because obviously you're going to have to believe it to get to where she gets later, but that she's willing to just let herself believe it. Almost as if there is a part of her brain standing along the highway trying to flag her down, saying like, hold on, hold on, hold on, stop, stop. And she sees it. And so there's some level she knows that what she's about to get into is crazy. But she is willing to just ignore it and keep going. And that's like, almost what she's saying in a way because she admits i don't hardly know you yeah all we talk about is bugs i know all it would take would be to maybe a few more seconds of connecting these things instead she just thinks i'd rather talk about bugs with you than nothing with nobody that desperation not to be alone because she doesn't want to be alone with her thoughts exactly she'd rather think about bugs than lloyd after they get rid of rc peter and agnes isolate themselves further closing the room first covering it in flypaper and then later tin foil to fend off communications, as they put it. Whatever that even means. Right. The bugs, which are, I guess, organic, are somehow transmitting messages. There's always this weird breakdown where at some point they're going from organic to technology, like machines. But somehow these I didn't... bugs are transmitting a message or something. Yeah, I didn't fully get the science of it all. <laughs> That would be weird, though, if they went into all the time and effort to make the science make sense. (laughs) Where you're like, no, actually, you could. (laughs) We went to great lengths to make sure that Peter's rantings all checked out scientifically. (laughs) Once the room's covered in tinfoil, they use the glow from bug zappers to light the place. We recognize the location from the opening image of the film, so finally that kind of makes sense. Kind of, I have to add. Sure. Of course, it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> As you come in here to record and it's just covered in tinfoil. Totally. <laughs> I can totally see that happening here. 
and I'm wearing it as clothes too. Like I've made clothes out of tin foil. And I just like don't even react to it. Just sit down to fire up the mics. <laughs> Peter, believing that a colony of microscopic bug egg sacs was implanted in one of his teeth, tears the tooth out with pliers. After examining the tooth using Lloyd's microscope, Peter believes he sees the bugs in the remains of the crushed tooth, and so does Agnes. Well, where did it come from in the first place? The eggs are under my skin. They hatch. They need air. They come out. They need food. They come back. They eat. Well, no. What do you mean? Think about it. No. They wouldn't have done that to you. Well, yeah, who are they going to do it to? A pig? They have to try it on a human to see if it works before You're a they start spraying bag They wouldn't have done that to you. All right, what was that thinking? government wouldn't conduct experiments on their own people. No. It's like feeding LSD to enlisted men at Edgewood Arsenal or sitting around watching the poor fuckers in Tuskegee die from syphilis. Why don't you fucking wake up? Where is this egg set? What are you doing? Oh my god, Peter! Oh my god! Stop it! Stop it! You're fracturing oh my, my tooth. Oh God, it's not possible. I had this tooth filled at the base. The sadistic oh. sons of bitches put an insect egg sac no. under the filling. Hey, maybe we got us a little bug problem here. They're eating me! I know. I know. I'm just, I'm just trying to play the devil's advocate thing okay. here, okay? Okay, like Maybe, maybe, um, you're looking for a connection to the no. army, so you're Both just more likely to hear me Both out. Now, you have no idea what these people are capable of. You know, I'm not a child. I know who I am. Oh, my God. Let's go to a real... I trust they will be watched too closely, Agnes, okay? They haven't grabbed me yet because they want to see how the experiment turns out. You cannot know that! This is all very unpleasant and it's escalated to a whole new level now he's very manic and out of control and when he rips the tooth out of his mouth it's exactly what it sounds like horrific there's blood everywhere yeah. he's talking strange obviously and his eyes are wild but it's almost as if he doesn't feel the pain because he's so lost in whatever he's in and so we really just have agnes's reactions her screams as it's happening and so there's another jump another escalation the movie keeps us on edge by remaining cagey about how much time has actually passed there's an abrupt blast of heavy metal music accompanying some shots of literal bugs and some microscope slides and then it stops when a car pulls up outside of the rustic motel 
A man has arrived mm-hmm. looking for Peter, a Dr. Sweet. Now the motel room has fully transformed. This is actually the moment when we first see it. I've sort of condensed these things down right. to describe, but that moment when Dr. Sweet arrives, that is a jarring, mm-hmm. like, oh, shit. Yeah. They've taken How did it, things take a turn? They've taken it to a whole new level. Yep. A dozen or more bug zappers providing an eerie blue light. But you got to say, not a lot of bugs being zapped. Occasionally, you do actually hear zaps. Yeah. But it's kind of like everything else in this movie where you're not sure what's real or True. what's yeah. supposed to be happening. But Tim based Foy- on the uh, infestation that they're experiencing, I would have expected a few more zaps. <laughs> you would think. Yeah, I like how they just casually are spraying Raid all over the place and all over themselves <laughs> yeah. as if that's helping anybody. Right. They're all getting crazier by yeah. the second. <laughs> I guess working with the tinfoil proved to be very difficult. I A bet. lot of reflections. I bet, yeah. Hard to keep everything hidden and visible the way you want it to be. Right. The transformation is visible with Agnes as well. It's all... Very disturbing. She looks very different. She's got little red marks all over herself. You're not really sure where they came from. You assume that they're from herself or Peter picking at her skin, but we really don't know. Yeah. That's where you end up with with this movie is a lot of assumption because there's really no other choice. I think it's safe to assume that there aren't really bugs and that she did this to herself, but she looks different. She's got marks on her arms and on her face and all of the exposed skin. I don't know. I assume that she did it to herself. Sweet attempts to speak with Agnes through the door, but she does not respond. It turns out that Sweet has actually arrived with Jerry. Jerry kicks the front door open, and both he and Sweet come inside. However, Sweet tells Jerry to wait outside. He then tells Agnes that Peter escaped from a mental institution where he was undergoing treatment. According to Sweet... Peter's been diagnosed as a delusional paranoid with schizophrenic tendencies and that he could be a danger to himself or others. Sweet adds you don't say. that delusions about insects are a known symptom of Peter's mental illness. The actor playing Dr. Sweet is a guy named Brian F. O'Byrne. Excellent, excellent casting. Yeah. Perfect. Because he's good. He's just creepy or menacing enough where you think. Is this guy on the up and up? I know. Who is this guy? What's going on right now? Well, and his actions take that even further. He never really proves who he is to anybody or any... I don't know. And I think that's kind of the fun stuff tucked into this movie. Because like I said, on the surface, the first time you watch it, it's pretty straightforward. Peter's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And Agnes gets sucked up into it. But then you start wondering... When this guy shows up, it definitely adds... He just doesn't come... Yeah. With any official capacity, any documentation, any identification, nothing. He's just here as a guy. Doesn't wear a uniform, doesn't wear anything that would indicate he comes from anywhere right. official. So it is weird. It and the way pause. he acts is very strange. Definitely. Because he sees that they have some drug paraphernalia out. He picks up the pipe and starts smoking it. It's unclear if it's supposed to be crack or weed yeah you might be right because they definitely were doing coke earlier that was a big thing because he peter thought there might be bugs in the coke yeah and then he has a whole explanation about that so i don't know it is possible but yeah he doesn't 
really act like no. an, an official type person other than maybe like Nicolas Cage and Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got the kibble? <laughs> Those are a fairly common delusion among paranoids. Bugs, spiders, snakes, spiders. You haven't had any snakes, have you? They're the first. Have you at least entertained the idea that the bugs are a delusion? How do I know you're not a delusion? Touche. There's no delusion. Where do the bugs come from? Peter. How does that work? You injected them. I injected them, right. When did you first see the bugs? When they got here. He saw them first? They're his bugs. Yes, they are. And when I take them away, the bugs will disappear. You want the bugs to disappear. But I can handle it. We're we're winning the fight. Really? The bugs are retreating. No, but we can find the ed- egg sacs now and cut cut them out of his body. You keep up that cutting. There might not be much left of Peter, for you or for me. I know what I'm doing. Oh. being watched. I could talk to them, they'd listen to me. Agnes continues to react to sounds of a helicopter. It seems like something is happening, but Sweet seems very calm and collected as if he's seen this all before. He doesn't seem put off by any of this. He doesn't even seem overly concerned that Peter has sucked in someone who, by all intents and purposes, may have been yeah. relatively normal well, a few he days talks ago. about Peter being dangerous, but he never really treats the situation that elevated. Yeah, it's almost as if he couldn't even imagine it going the level this far. to where it yeah. goes. But as I said, we don't really know who this guy is, and that's part of the fun. Definitely. Because if he's not a doctor, then who is he? Is he a government official? Is there more to what Peter's saying? Peter is crazy, and there are no bugs, but is part of what Peter's saying still kind of true? Were they doing experiments on him? There could be a mix. Sure, yeah. And they send guys that look like this because they don't want to raise attention. They don't want uniforms. They don't want flashy cars. They don't want anything that anyone's going to notice or remember. I don't know. Because this is weird. Definitely. That this is a doctor who is not treating... Because later, then he says he's not his doctor. I know. Well, that's why it's done this way. So that we won't know what's happening. Exactly. Agnes distrusts Sweet. So he changes tactics entirely. He takes the approach that the delusions are, in fact, real, but that he would be in a position to be able to help Peter and Agnes. And then when that's not enough, he brings Lloyd into it. And that, of course, 
makes Agnes react in a big, big way. Okay, so we have to pause again. How does Sweet know about Lloyd? Well, he did arrive at the motel with Jerry. Uh-huh. Logically, you would make the assumption that Jerry told him about Lloyd. But why? He also did question RC at one point. Would she bring up Lloyd? I don't I don't know, but it is a possibility. I wouldn't think, but based on the way Jerry acts about people bringing up Lloyd earlier, it seems unlikely that he would just bring him up to this guy. Yeah. Because as far as Jerry knows, this is just some dude who's going to get rid of the guy that's making time with his ex-wife. Mhm. He doesn't give a shit about bugs no. or whatever the fuck is going on. He doesn't care whatever was going on with Peter. He just wants Peter gone. He's not going to open up and tell this guy his whole life. So then if you eliminate that, then you are left with RC. And that feels weird, too. I'm not saying that this guy knows something about Lloyd or that there is a bigger conspiracy. But the movie definitely wants you to question this stuff if you for think sure, about for it for sure. more than a yeah. minute. Because it doesn't really make sense that he would know about Lloyd. But you accept it. Because you just think, oh, yeah, okay, well, Jerry told him or whatever. Right, right. But then you're like, but would he? But why? I know. And then they connect. do make a point to make, to make Jerry flip out when Lloyd's brought up earlier. So I don't know. Sweet claims to know where Lloyd is and that he is both alive and well. If Agnes will just cooperate, maybe she'll get the chance to see her son once again. So now, in a risky gambit, this guy has acknowledged the bugs being real, and then goes so far as to connect Agnes's long-lost son to the whole maddening situation. I think that's important to note because they get there, those two, Peter and Agnes, on their own, but this outsider, Sweet, is the first guy who's connected Lloyd to this conspiracy, and then they will take that and run with it later. Totally. And I think this guy is just saying whatever he thinks is going to work. I think so. Yeah. But he's not realizing that if he doesn't succeed, which obviously maybe he doesn't want to think like that because mm-hmm. why would you think, oh, if I fuck up, I'm going to be dead. But if he doesn't succeed, he's not considering how this is going to just make everything so much worse because he's doing half the work for them. Right, right. By tying something together with it. His idea is essentially to present himself as the easiest and safest exit strategy from Peter's delusions. In other words, Sweet is trying to convince Agnes that he would be able to help her and Peter escape from the conspiracy. Yeah. Now, whether Agnes is seeing it as a conspiracy or if she's seeing it as Peter's delusions, hey, I can help you. I'll get you out of this. Whatever way you're thinking, whether you're on board with him or not, I can get you out of this. But Peter emerges from the bathroom almost like fucking Jason Voorhees. Surprise, bitches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's wielding a big knife now. Is covered in blood and markings, insane, wild-eyed, looking completely nuts. This is the official trademarked look of a man convinced that bugs are living in and eating his blood. And this is <laughs> that's what I know. they look like. And this is where Doctor Sweet, I feel like, is completely downplaying the situation. Yeah, as if he doesn't see the knife and, or something, and the crazed look in this man's eyes. But what else can he do other than maybe panic? Well, yeah. He's thinking maybe that would make it worse, so he's trying to remain cool. Right, because he's got a plan. As he argues with Sweet, completely out of his mind, clearly indicating that he believes Sweet to have been sent by the government and not even 
be real, but mm-hmm. be a robot. Sweet unobtrusively readies a syringe, preparing to sedate Peter, but Peter abruptly stabs and savagely kills Dr. Sweet. Clearly, the illness has escalated to a level that Sweet was just not expecting. No, no. Perhaps this is the first person that he has actually killed, and that's I'm, why Sweet was expecting so. a, yeah. an explosion of violence. Right. That could be due to having another person to bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. Introducing another person into his delusion has maybe caused him to ratchet it up because now he feels like in his mind he's protecting another person. I don't know, but it could be. He's pushed it to the next level. Peter. He's alive. Good lord. Come back from the factory. Sound card's good when you run on. You need your meds. New model. We need to talk. Do you know him? Talk to one another. Do you know him? He knows me. It's all right. Munitions, R&D, nice work. What, what's happening? You believe it. No, he, he'll bring me, he'll bring me Lloyd. She's not part he's of got, this. Got, It'll tell you anything you want to hear, Agnes. <gasps> this is between you and me, no. That's how it's programmed. It's always been you and me. I don't understand. I'll I don't cut it understand. Open. I'll show you. It only knows what they program it to say. Okay? No, shut up! They can't wait for me to come outside. They've come to collect me. The experiment is over. They've come to pick up their petri dish and they send a machine to do it. Agnes, it is a fucking machine. You can okay. see for yourself they're sending a machine. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I don't I don't really understand. You have to explain to me what is going on, Peter. Listen, listen! If you want to know what is going on, you have to listen to me. I'm listening. You have to. Because you don't know the fucking enormity. Agnes is distraught, believing that Peter has destroyed her only chance of learning more about Lloyd. Yeah, you think this is maybe a split in the road here. But Peter insists Sweet was not even human, merely some kind of robot sent by the government. Even when he's stabbing Sweet, he's yelling, Machine! Machine! Even though blood is coming out. I know. Not even milk, like an alien. <laughs> Maybe he was expecting that, and then you're like, ooh, maybe this was wrong. Honestly, the relationship between Peter and Agnes kind of reminds me of some of my past relationships. Definitely. (laughs) The way you talk about them. Machine! Machine! (laughs) Together, Peter and Agnes elaborate upon Peter's beliefs in an escalating conspiracy, becoming convinced that Agnes's son was kidnapped by the government to lead her and Peter to meet, that the government paid Jerry 
to abduct the boy and then took the boy. The fantasy spreads like wildfire. It keeps making less and less sense. The leaps they're making, logic is completely out the window. (laughs) But it is a fun example, and I use fun loosely, but it is an interesting example of how you mold the delusion around the pre-existing lives and situations and events. The things that are out of their control, in other words, how do we mold our delusion around the things that are out of our control? And what's so jarring about this next sequence is they're freaking out, but not about the fact that they just murdered a dude. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, to them, he was a machine. They didn't murder him. Yeah, that's right. If you pay attention to what Peter is saying... He evokes the name Tim McVeigh. Yes. And you realize why the location of Oklahoma makes sense. Right. Because they wanted it to be tied in with the Oklahoma City bombing, which maybe some of our younger people wouldn't connect with the name Tim McVeigh. It's Mm. been a long time now. But he starts alluding to things that you would think of as MKUltra, some of that stuff I was talking about in, in the Manson book and lab rats and he's basically saying it was him and another guy and the other guy was timothy mcveigh so then agnes takes that as an admission that he was involved with oklahoma city bombing right but then he's like no no that wasn't me but (laughs) because i think that he didn't know timothy mcveigh that's not true either none of this is true probably but then you do wonder though (laughs) because of how weird can't be true the stuff was about dr sweet (laughs) was just weird and as they go further and further into it, Jerry and RC and everyone, they just sort of morph into players, into the story, into the thing that... Because there's no They're proof. all part of it. They just decide. They, yeah. they realize it in their head. Oh, oh that, and then that. And then, you know, they're just thinking of it. I know, yeah. There's no actual evidence or just, any... Just like, what can I think of that connects to this? <laughs> yes, and. <laughs> yeah, it's like improv. Yeah. Except less terrible, right. if we're being honest. <laughs> They are in a full tailspin at this point, stacking nightmarish delusions on top of each other until there's no room left to breathe. Everything is a part of it. Peter and Agnes believe that each was separately infected with bugs meant to mate with each other, one being the drone and one being the queen, with the purpose being to take over the world or something. Who knows? No, no, you never had bugs before you got here. You, you, they had you all that time. They did all those things to you, and you never had no bugs until you got here, until after you, until after we, oh, my God, after we, after we, oh, it's, uh. it's we, it's us, it's, they, 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 they gave you the, what they call that, the drone. They gave you the drone. And they, and they gave me the queen. They gave me the mother. And that's when they came out. That's when they mated. When we made them. When we, and, then they, and then, and then, oh my God, and it had to be me. It had to be me from the very beginning because they took, they took Lloyd, they took him somewhere. They took him to this laboratory and they, and they cut him and they cut him open and the stuff matched or whatever, the DNA and the blood and all went together. And so they started to build, they started to build the, 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 the queen, the mother, and they gave it to me. They gave it to me. The juice, the bug, the mother, the bug, the super mother bug. I am the super mother bug. I am the super mother bug. Oh my god. 
We made them. We made them. We gave birth to them. And they will never leave us. They will never leave us because we made them. And those people, those people are trying to come in here to kill us because the bugs won't go out into the world to do their work. They would never leave us. They will never leave us. We are all they know. And they're trying to come in here to kill us, to send the bugs back out into the world. Oh, my God. Oh my God, you know what we have to do? You know what we have to do? We have to kill him. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It's better, no one. Oh, we have to kill him. Yeah. We have a responsibility. What is that? <laughs> I do love the part when Agnes is putting her hands up in the air. I am the super mother bug. <laughs> Even Peter's like, all right, relax, honey. I know. <laughs> Take it down a notch. <laughs> he starts backing out of the room yeah, like, yeah. oh, this bitch is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, when they get that pizza delivered, that oh, really I know. hit close to home. Yeah, That's seriously. like me ordering a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Terrified to open my door. <laughs> is it hot enough? You just throw it in the trash. <laughs> now, who do you think ordered the pizza? I was wondering that. Dr. Sweet. <laughs> Well, this is weird because yeah. they murder Dr. Sweet after Dr. Sweet told Jerry to go wait outside. And then Jerry just disappears for forever. Yeah. Then he eventually comes back right on cue when another helicopter sounds like it's buzzing uh-huh. in the room and the whole room's shaking and everything. But where did he go? I don't know. <laughs> to the bar, I guess. I don't know. How long was he gone and who ordered the pizza? What was the arrangement with Dr. Sweet? I don't know. I don't really see Uber really making it out to this area. No. Especially not in 2006. (laughs) Uber Eats, though. To prevent the conspiracy from being successful, Agnes and Peter douse each other and the room in gasoline. Jerry tries breaking into the room, but Agnes injures him with a nail gun. Agnes and Peter strip naked, declare their love for each other, and then set themselves ablaze. Mm -hmm. I was referencing how few takes they had on things earlier in this podcast. This was a one take. Oh, wow. They didn't have the budget to do this more than once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) This was what I was alluding to earlier, though, with Jerry. And you're sort of like rooting for him to get in at this point just to try to stop this madness? Well, yeah, because before they strip naked and before she injures him with the nail gun, they are just full-on dousing everything in gasoline so yeah, you yeah. know where this is going right and then it takes like a couple of minutes to fully get there now the other comment on this scene is i kind of feel like this is how we're going to end the podcast like the last <laughs> episode will be us lighting ourselves on fire our nude bodies yeah. <laughs> hopefully on stage we'll need like bell to like somehow set up a recording outside the apartment otherwise <laughs> <laughs> the footage just burns up nobody cares nobody yeah. knows lost the time like tears and rain (laughs) this podcast yeah Yeah, i know during the end credits various toys in agnes's room are shown completely intact with no sign of aluminum foil and then at the very end the opening shot of the film is repeated with sweet lying prone in the foil covered room which is undamaged by fire it is left unclear which shot if any is supposed to be real seems like they just wanted to further muddy the waters a little bit here at the end. I don't really think that we're fully committing to the idea that what we're seeing isn't real at the end of the film. But 
it's on the table. I don't really know what we're supposed to make of those little shots in the credits other than it's another question mark. I don't think you can really say anything definitive about it right. one way or the other. I know, but it does make you pull back a little bit. What well, fits in with some of the yeah. stuff you start questioning about Dr. Sweet and little moments here or there. It starts to just send you down a path. Are there bugs? <laughs> I was like, well, I was like, was there some weirdness around the Lloyd disappearance that we don't know about? Yeah, that is the screwball. That's the curveball. If you start going down the path of it yeah. being kind of real or there being more to the story, how do you actually connect Lloyd to it? That just seems like a bridge too far. Which brings me to the the compromise, which is mm. Peter is crazy. There are no bugs, but some of his story is kind of real. That they were doing experiments on him. That he has been driven insane by the army or something like that. So it's yeah. kind of a combination of the two. There's really no way to prove it either oh, way. definitely. Director William Friedkin claimed in an interview, the film is about the widespread infection of paranoia everyone has, especially fears of terrorism. He argued that, in a way, Peter is someone who could become a terrorist, the mentally unstable loner out in the middle of nowhere. So there was more of a connection to the Oklahoma City bombing and then the aftermath of 9-11 and the war on terror and all that stuff going on, yeah. probably at the time when the movie came out. But when I read that, I thought it's an oddly prescient movie right now. I feel like we say that a lot. With the conspiracy theories online yeah. and the way that people will believe things. Totally. sucked up into things. Yeah. And how... Almost everything is a conspiracy now. A shocking number of people in this country were susceptible to conspiracy theories that only seem marginally less insane than the ones Peter talks about in this movie. But even the way people act about what we would consider a conspiracy theory now versus the way it was most of my life growing up, now people treat it like they'll say things and it's just like so matter of fact, like this is it, this is what happened. Well, yeah, and the internet is to blame for all of this, totally. of course. Yeah. Which makes you wonder what Peter would have been like if he would have come along 10 years later and had Twitter in, in his life. Yeah, probably would have gained a massive following. So yes, I don't know that you can say that Friedkin or Letts were thinking about the future with internet trolls and it, the dark corners of the web and these conspiracy people and how this was going to manifest itself into our daily lives and our political discourse. But, man, we got there. And I think that what they're talking about, that specific type of guy, that loner, they're more susceptible to it now because of the internet and then they can get militarized and brainwashed faster and earlier. This movie does not indicate that Peter was ever brainwashed. If anything, this movie seems to be leaning more in the direction that he was just mentally ill and born that way. But I guess the question mark about whether or not it happened through the government or through the army, I, you know, whatever. But I guess what I'm saying is because of the internet, we're in a position where we could create Peters rather than just have them only occur naturally. True, yeah. You can sort of build this person now by filling their brain with all the wild shit that's out there. And there's certain people like Agnes who are susceptible and will start believing it. Yeah, it's a bummer. Because of the circumstances in their life. So thank you to Shelly. Yeah, great pick, Shelly. It was fun to talk about this movie. I I really looked forward to getting into I know, now Friedkin. I find myself bummed that this 4K is not coming out. 
Yeah, well, maybe one day. We'll see. Friedkin, still alive, still kicking. I don't think we're likely to get another film from him, though. Yeah, He's pretty old now. Yep. I would recommend checking out that documentary about him, which I think I recommended on the show. Yeah, you did. Before. He is kind of a character. He's funny. Even if you don't like him or agree with him, and I mean like him the person, not his movies, even if you don't like him or agree with him or think he's an asshole or something, it is always funny, though. One of my favorite is some interviewer asking Friedkin about the future of the home video market because I I don't know how this came up or whatever, but the thought process was, well, these DVDs seem like they're only good for like 10 years or something. And this interviewer was like, yeah, Oliver Stone says that these DVDs, they don't even last 10 years and blah, blah, blah. And (laughs) Friedkin just cuts them off and he goes, fuck Oliver Stone. <laughs> He's like, what the fuck is he talking about? Yeah, I have yeah. d- I have DVDs that are over ten years old. They work fine. He just gets so mad and he's like flipping out. <laughs> and I think it was when Oliver Stone was working on Alexander. Okay. <laughs> Which didn't that come out in like two thousand five? Yeah. Were DVDs even ten years old at that point? I don't know. And then <laughs> freaking goes fuck Oliver Stone and fuck Alexander. <laughs> He's one of those dudes that, kind of like Peter Bogdanovich, who, like, all of his peers hated, and he hated all of his peers. Like, Friedkin was just a notorious prickly pear. <laughs> Definitely, just yeah. didn't like anyone, and no one liked him. Love it. Him being interviewed about anything is always funny. His pants pulled all the way up to, like, right under his tits. You know, like, old man <laughs> pants. Like, all the way up. Yeah. <laughs> The front of the belt is, like, off to the side. Even. It's the most ridiculous look you've ever seen. <laughs> fuck Oliver Stone and fuck Alexander. <laughs> Those big, like, giant glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks to Shelly for the listener request. If you have one of your own, reach out on Twitter at GreatestPod or email us, GreatestPod at gmail.com to work out all of those details. So... Let's jump into our segments, and this first up is becoming sort of a transition from recommendations to Matt goes to the movies and then tells us about it, and Zach's not invited. Yeah, well, we're going to fix that this week. We'll see. That's not 100%. To be fair to me, I don't think you really want to go that much. No. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. You're going to tell us about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I honestly have not heard word one from Matt about this, so I'll be hearing his impressions for the first time. Let's try not to give out any spoilers, but just your general feelings. But you know that there are spoilers. Have you heard that? That there's things that would be... Well, obviously there would be. No, I know, but like something that would be important to Indiana Jones fans. Uh, no, I haven't okay. heard anything specifically. Well, I'll just say there's something at the end that had me tears were streaming down my cheeks. So, how about that? Well, just tell yeah. us if you like the movie. <laughs> so, I did like the movie. I would say I liked it as much as The Force Awakens, where it's like, yes, there's a bunch of shit in it that's just fan service, wink at the camera stuff, but it's still well made and not like Crystal Skull. Yeah. You know, I put that in my letterbox review. It it accomplished the main thing it set out to do, which is be better than Crystal Skull. Yeah. 
I haven't heard a ton about it, but what I have heard is it's way better than Crystal Skull. There are a lot of connections to the other movies, some more obvious than others. Yeah. Little things and big things, which they did a lot in the other ones. Definitely. And they didn't really do in Crystal Skull. When you actually break Crystal Skull down, like, minute to minute and just go through it, it's just a movie that, like, no one wanted. Not even Spielberg. He didn't even want to do it. He didn't think Aliens was a good idea. Have you ever heard about all this? Like no, he, I he didn't. was like almost like not into it. I remember walking out of the theater feeling like it didn't seem like a good idea. I just don't think the script was right yeah. and his heart wasn't in it. I don't think his heart has been in that kind of movies in a long time, which is why he didn't do this one and But yeah, I've I've heard a lot about it, but it does seem like from what I've heard, it's not a masterpiece that's no. going to like supplant Raiders or something, but I think it's like the best you're going to get out of something like this. Right. It's too long. Well, yeah, yeah, that's a given. It's like 40 minutes longer than friggin' Crystal Skull. Oof. I know. And Crystal Skull, by the end, you're praying for that to be over. The de-aging stuff looks pretty good, although he still has the old voice. So he kind of sounds like me right now. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of weird. I'm not all into digitalizing whatever, but if you're going to do the de-aging thing, do something with the voice, too, so that he doesn't sound like old man Ford. But... That is like a pretty minimal part of the movie. I can accept that because it seems like, and I say this with a big asterisk, but it does seem like Harrison Ford is not going to do this anymore. Yeah. And there won't be a new Indiana Jones, at least totally. I don't in think the so. near future. No. There probably will be one day. Yeah. Like 30 years from now, maybe. Right, not with him, though, obviously. <laughs> no, I mean with a yeah. new guy as Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm All saying right. they wouldn't even recast it any time in the immediate future. Right. But it's also hard to be clear even what the demand would be, because I don't think this had as big of an opening weekend right. as they wanted. Well, so. it seems like that's going to just be the new thing. A lot of Everyone... old people in the theater that I... Like, that's the thing. I'm like, I don't know if this is really for a new generation. A lot of premature celebration after last year's box office with Top Gun and stuff. It seems like this year it's already been several movies that opened under yeah. expectations. But I did like it. And James Mangold is just a good director. Yeah, I had faith that at the very least, it would have to be pretty competent. Yeah. And as much as Spielberg is one of the greatest, you didn't really have that feeling with Crystal Skull. It just felt like a movie no one really cared about. And it's grittier than I expected, too. Like, I mean, there's like a lot of people that get killed in it, which I guess goes back to those original movies where it is fun and silly, but not for nothing. He is like shooting people, too. Yeah, you I know? heard there were some connections with Temple of Doom and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to check it out, but I haven't yet, and who knows? I might just wait till it's on streaming. I don't I, really care. When I walked out of Top Gun, I was like, you got to see that in the theater. I didn't feel that way about this. Right. Well, there's just a lot of other stuff to see, too. Yeah. So The Jennifer Lawrence movie, for sure. <laughs> All right. All right. All right, you go ahead. You go ahead, you keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information. Folks, we will read an email since we did not do so last week. This one is a follow-up from Moondoggy, but I enjoyed it, so we'll read another one of his. This is in response to our Wild Things Revisited episode. P.S. Wild Things Matt Dillon response. And Matt, I'll need to have your thoughts on this. Oh, good. He writes, Matt Dillon is very hot, but he is not, quote, I will do your bidding, unquote, hot. Oh. 
Movie star hotness involves two things, the actual looks and the ability to, quote, perform hotness, which I guess outside of the acting world is what we would call charisma. And of course, people like Ryan Gosling have both. Matt Dillon can smolder above his physical hotness grade, just like Ryan Reynolds can somewhat tamp his hotness down. I think they can both also play normal guys, whereas Gosling can only be hot unless he pulls a machinist-style transformation, i.e. unless he maims himself. Are we ranking hot guys now? Is that what this show <laughs> what has the become? Show yeah. Well, I have to admit, Moondoggy, while I found your thoughts on male hotness interesting, it ultimately didn't really answer who should be the new... Yeah. Sam Lombardo in the Wild Things remake. Well, that sounded like... Was it Gosling? Yeah. Or did you you brought up Ryan Reynolds at one point? I don't know where the, that was heading. You didn't seem to have a it definitive answer. It did seem answer. a little bit more like general thoughts on the hotness of male leads. <laughs> I don't even know yeah. where we ended up because yeah. we couldn't decide. We were floating around a, a couple of different guys for both parts. Mm-hmm. We had the female parts locked down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we knew it was playing new. Well, it's less of a time for sleazy dudes out there. Now? You know, there's just not a well, lot of Well, we those... did like that guy from The Bear, yeah. maybe as Sam Lombardo, and then maybe we could do Gosling as Duquette. Yeah, you can pull it off. But we might need to do like a little bit more diversity. I would say maybe Michael B. Jordan as Duquette. Okay. And I think his name is Jeremy Allen White. I'm not sure. The guy from The Bear and Shameless. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever paid attention to that actor's name, to be honest. She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh-no-no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray. She's a monster. All right, physical media spotlight, real quick. The first thing I'll bring up, just to tie it in with Friedkin and the bug 4K getting canceled, Kino Lorber did somehow see another Friedkin movie to the finish line, evidently, because it's supposed to come out in a couple weeks. To Live and Die in L.A., Coming out on 4K, July 18th. If you haven't seen To Live and Die in L.A., I do recommend it. It is a pretty fun, cool, Michael Mann-esque offering from Friedkin, starring our boy from Fear and Manhunter, William Peterson, which is the Michael Mann connection. I think there ended up being a lawsuit over To Live and Die in L.A. because it was similar to an episode of Miami Vice. I think there was a whole thing... Even though Mann and Friedkin, I I do think they sort of repaired their relationship because Michael Mann was supposed to direct something or Friedkin was going to direct, I don't know, something. But whatever, there was some legal rambling. So it's kind of like that. It's like a Manhunter, Miami Vice type vibe. Yeah. L.A. crime story with William Peterson, Willem Dafoe. It's cool. Yeah. You see William Peterson's hard dick, kind of. Definitely. Super cool. <laughs> So coming to 4K, the Blu-ray is out of print and very expensive, so it'll actually be cheaper to snag the new 4K from Kino. And you wanted to do a pre-order. Yeah, I ordered it from here tonight before the show. Second Sight, who does like some really cool packaging. Yeah, we've talked about them before with yeah. Drive and Dawn of the Dead. And what was the other one we were talking about with them? Mm, I can't remember. I have the Drive one. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They have oh, just like yeah. a bunch of those cool... Yeah, so they did a It Follows 4K. Right, which is not out yet. Right, but the pre-orders are out there. Right. Yeah, I can't recommend them enough from a packaging standpoint. And Yeah, Second Sight has really cool stuff. Super cool movie that uh, really, I feel like, had a pretty big impact for me when it came out. 
it just seemed like unlike anything I had seen. Yeah, and now there's been several movies I think that have been influenced by it yeah. in the time since it. It's one of those movies that I think we talked about this when we did it on the show that inspired a lot of hatred too with people trying to pick it apart because it's one of those gimmick movies that right. people feel the need to become super nerds about rather than just let the experience yeah. wash over you. I wonder if we will ever do a revisited for It Follows. It's Could definitely be a possible. Greatest October candidate for a revisited. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I would also recommend checking out the Second Sight Special Editions. They are a little pricey, but you can find them at some retailers in America, which are pretty reliable. You don't have to worry about getting it imported yourself. And if it's in 4K, if you have a 4K player, that's region-free, so you're good to go, even though it's a UK company. And then just I'd like to add, if you have a 4K player and you're into collecting 4K movies, just pay attention to the new releases, a lot of high-profile, upper-tier classic stuff coming out on 4K all the time. Just in recent weeks, I picked up Vanilla Sky, The Firm, Rain Man, The Truman Show, Air Force One, stuff like that. So even though it feels like home video is about to evaporate entirely, they're doing the best they can with these 4Ks. They're at least trying to get more movies out there in 4K. I don't think that it will ever even be half of what's on Blu-ray, and Blu-ray was probably not even close to half of what was on DVD, and Mm -hmm. DVD was probably not even a fourth of what was on VHS, but it doesn't even matter if you like all of them. I I just like to see more movies that are older getting released on 4K. Obviously, most of the new releases are if they get any home video release. Still waiting on a Barbarian release. There's rumors, though, that it'll happen around halloween this year but we'll see okay all right anyway thank you so much for listening thanks to shelly for the listener requests if you have a listener request of your own please reach out on twitter at greatest pod or email greatestpod at gmail.com make sure you follow the show anyway and subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, podbean etc wherever you find us please tell your friends and anyone who's cool about the show <laughs> yeah just find Spread a cool person word. I know. It would be the first time most of you have talked to a cool person, but please. (laughs) And I'm sure they're going to take your opinion on it. (laughs) And then they're going to listen to two cool guys on this podcast for sure. (laughs) If you'd like a free sticker, let us know and we'll send that out to you. Maybe we'll think of some more merch items for the second half of the year. Yeah. What happened to this t-shirt idea? I've still been toying around with it. Well, I had a conversation with Keith, but I think he's busy, so... I might be going out into the market, but I'm still toying around with the idea. Okay, so we haven't abandoned that idea no, no. yet, if anybody remembers. Anyway, I think we'll wrap it up. Find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. It's another busy month. We've got some big episodes coming up, a couple more listener requests this month, and then we have a few more in August. I'll get to that schedule with everyone's name, just to reiterate, just in case anyone's wondering, but... I'm pretty sure I got all you down. We are now working into November. So if you have one, no reason to keep waiting because we are way ahead on that. God knows if we're still even be doing the show. Well, I'm sure we will. (laughs) Well, we might be dead. Yeah. (laughs) He says hopefully. (laughs) Thinking of editing all these episodes. Oh, yeah. 
All right, anyway, this is long enough. We'll talk to you next week. Come on now, the curtain is drawn, and tomorrow stands before you. Dressed and draped in a cold black cape like a crow. He ignores you. Look again, there's a beautiful girl. Covers him in a holy land smile. It's the great disappearing act done once again for the morrow. Crowd as we're chasing our tails, biting our nails so strong and
is now eight minutes before nine o'clock. We've just seen in Denise Richardson's report, millions of young PBS viewers are learning about geography while trying to find out where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. As it happens, the search for Carmen will be endless. But we have found her house band, Rockapella, and they're joining us now to sing Carmen's high-energy theme song. Acapella, Rockapella. Two, three, yeah! Well, she sneaks around the world from Vegas to Carolina. She's dancing in Maker Filcher, rolling down Tumbleweed. She'll take you for a ride on a boat to China. Tell me where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Steal their soul in South Korea, baby. Not a good my uncle from the Red Sea to Green Love, sing in the blues. Well, they never rock and saw us steal. We come from a jungle. San Diego. She go from Nashville to Norway, Bonaire to Zimbabwe, Chicago to Czechoslovakia and back. Well, she'll ransack Pakistan and run a scam in Scandinavia. Then she'll stick them up down under and go think pocket Perth. She put the missing misdemeanor when she stole the beast from Lima. Tell me where in the world is Carmen San Diego. Botswana to Thailand, Milan via Amsterdam, Mali to Bali, Ohio, oh Monday through Friday at five. Girl, she flies around the globe, then she'll limp my happy nation. She's a double dealing diva with a taste for thievery. Her acting I'm very slowed up with moving violations. Tell me where. San Diego. Well, tell me where in the world is Carmen San Diego. Tell me where in the world is Carmen San Diego. Tell me where in the world is Carmen San Diego. Tell me where in the world is Carmen San Diego. Tell me where in the world is where can she be? San Diego. Watch your back. <laughs> 